Whoop, whoop, whoop. So many exciting things to tell you. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Number one, my book is now free, a digital version of my book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me. You can just sign up and get it for free. Number two, come and say hello on Instagram. I'm having fun on Instagram doing exciting reels. Number three, I have four amazing packages for my Positively Healthy program called Magical May exciting exciting if you want to find out more book a call and let's chat and lastly remember radiate and renew four simple habits simple but mighty habits is starting may the 15th so come and sign up for that Welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Carrick. I teach busy mums who are trying to juggle everything to transform their lives, to lose weight and lead a healthy life so they can feel fit and fabulous. On the Fit and Fabulous podcast, we chat about nutrition, healthy living, emotional wellness in a way that you can apply to your life. I'll show you how to stop being frustrated and overwhelmed with healthy living and how to make it fun and easy. You're invited to sign up to my free New Me workshop. Change your mindset to healthy living in five days. Get to the bottom of those I can't do it thoughts and transform them into wow, it's so easy and fun. You can sign up at drorlina.com slash new me. That's doctor, D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A dot com slash new line in the middle, me. Hello and welcome back to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Alina Kerrick. I'm super excited to welcome Dr. Zarin again here today. So if you haven't heard her podcasts on how to lead a heart healthy life, then make sure you check them out. And today we're talking all about sleep. Zarin, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Alina, for inviting me again. I think that sleep is one of these really, really interesting topics that it's taken me quite a long time to realise exactly how important sleep is. I I think it's taken us all a long time to realise how important it is. In fact, you know, gladly there's now a bit of a sea change where we're beginning to prioritise it a little bit more, not to the extent that we should, um, but it's vital it's vital to the functioning of our brain it's vital to the functioning of our body and it's very important and so I'm I'm really excited to be talking about it today. Fabulous do you want to start by giving us a little bit of your background and well Hmm. how do you know so much about sleep? (laughs) So I'm a cardiologist Uh, I qualified in about 2001 and have been in the NHS since and I obviously led a very uh, typical doctor's life, full of shift work, full of not really prioritizing sleep. Now, in 2007, I was very lucky to uh, have an opportunity to do a research project and complete a PhD. And part of that involved sleep. I was looking at patients with obstructive sleep apnea. So I spent a lot of time in the sleep labs at the Royal Brompton Hospital testing people's sleep. And it's through that that I learned just how important it is and it sparked a genuine interest so after that obviously when going back to clinical medicine realized that it's hard to prioritize sleep and not only that the slightest bit of stress the slightest bit of disruption to my day and my sleep really suffered so we're going to talk a lot about sleep and how it 
can have devastating consequences when you don't get enough. However, I do not want to put people um, in a place where they're really disheartened because there are a lot of things that we can do. And I know that from my own personal experience. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on your personal experience? So I've, 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 undergone some periods of, of stress and then normally um when i'm working really hard when i'm multitasking when i'm not prioritizing me um and as a result i wake up in the middle of the night and i'm unable to get back to sleep so i found that the there are little things that i've done in my life that have reduced the stress in my life and subsequently really improved my sleep um and that's why i'm really passionate in spreading this message and I totally love what you're saying. And I think this is something that I find with so many people. And what I hear you say is it's when I stop prioritizing myself. And that happens to so, so many people. And I think your story is not at all uncommon. Mm. So let's, if I could ask you to give us an overview of sleep, and we've mentioned a few things already. But one of the things I have recently realized after reading about sleep is the number of conditions that are connected to lack of sleep. It's just mind boggling. Mm. Yes, oh, sleep is fascinating. So it's a it's a massive topic, actually. Um, and I guess that a good place to start would be our circadian rhythm. So now the interesting thing is, is that every living creature on this earth with a lifespan of more than a few days has and generates its own natural cycle. We are evolved to be in harmony with the earth's rotation. So for humans, it's our wake and sleep cycles, but not only that, it's our body temperature, it's our metabolic rate, it's food, it's hormones. And we have some principal resetting mechanisms, daylight being one of them. But even if we were in a cave in the middle of nowhere with no sunlight, we have our own, our brain generates our, our own circadian rhythm. It is intrinsically vital to the way that we function as human beings. Now, sleep itself, uh, we have, we're getting more of an understanding of why we sleep. Um, but we really, uh, if you ask anyone, we're not always 100% sure. We know that it's vital for memory processing. We know it's vital for consolidating all the memories of experiencing experiences we've had, of forgetting memories that we don't need. Uh, we know that it helps us to perform motor tasks. And it really does help repair and restore pretty much all the organ systems in our body. So our muscle systems, our immune systems, our hormones, and our heart. So we are getting more of an understanding of this and, and a recognition of how important it is. And as you mentioned, it is associated sleep loss or sleep deprivation or the lack of sleep is associated with a large number of diseases. Yes. So... Am I right in thinking that the reason why we sleep is fixing our body and for children growing and also processing memories and emotions? Does that sum it up in a nutshell? It's, it, it does. It's, it's like a big control-alt-delete for the body and the brain. It, it, it provides a time of metabolic restoration, 
Um, but it's not an inactive time. The brain is actually very, very active. And what it's busy doing is processing all the information that we put into it during the day, processing those memories, experiences, filing them away in little boxes for us to use later, um, uh, consolidating our abilities of motor tasks that we've learned that day. And and for all the rest of the organ systems, it's, it's really providing an, a time of balance, of restoration. Um, and I guess now is a good time to talk about sleep stages. Shall I do that? Yes, fabulous. Yeah. So we have um, a typical sleep architecture when we sleep. Um, and this is what I spent my time in my PhD doing, watching people, setting up people with electrodes and watching their brain activity and various other, th- other things and, and figuring out what stages they were in. And I find it fascinating. So we cycle through different stages in sleep and they're broadly divided into non-REM sleep or non-rapid eye movement sleep and rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. And the REM sleep is typically associated with dreaming. Now, if we look at non-rapid eye movement sleep, that's divided again um, into four stages. So stage one is when you've just been in your bed, you've fallen asleep, and it's that light sleep that you go into, and you don't stay in it for long. Um, you then go into stage two, which is we actually spend quite a large proportion of our sleep um, in stage two, but it's an important stage. It's it is it's not as deep as the as the stages that come later on, but it clears the way for memories to be processed. So if you're in stage two, it enhances your ability to learn new things. You then go into stage three and four, and they're slightly lumped together because their function is the same. And if you look at the brain activity of someone in stage three or four, you've got really large, rhythmic, synchronous brain waves. And they're a bit like an orchestra, all sort of firing in in tune. Um, Your heart rate settles, your blood pressure settles. And this is a time for deep restoration. You store your memories, you restore your organs, um, and and this is where you get your, I guess your your uh, it, it, it's it's really where your body is 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 nurtured and restored. Now, bit. sorry, the fixing bit, the 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 fixing bit. Absolutely, it's the fixing bit. Now, then following, so that's all non-REM. Okay, so we've gone from wake to stage one two and then three and four and and then we go to REM sleep now REM sleep is very interesting because if you look at the brain waves of REM sleep it's actually very similar to wakefulness Um, but you have absolutely no muscle tone and if you look at heart rate and blood pressure they can be actually quite labile and we know now that REM sleep is typically when we are dreaming uh, we and, and the reason why we have no muscle tone is because we don't want to act out those dreams. So the body has this innate mechanism for allowing you to dream, but not acting it out. And what we, we, we're, again, learning so much about REM sleep, but we do believe that it's a time for emotional detox. So it's a time where we process all those difficult emotions, those uh, those times when we felt really stressed or traumatized Um, and not only that uh, it's a time where we uh, get creative so REM sleep is associated with improved creativity so once we've had that little period of REM sleep we then 
might have a little bit of wakefulness, but then we, we, we go back into stage two um, and then we go back up to the lighter stages of sleep. Now, that cycle from wake through stage one to deep and REM sleep and REM sleep is it lasts approximately 90 minutes. And then we cycle through those stages again. So every 90 minutes, we have a period of non-REM sleep and a period of REM sleep. And interestingly, throughout the night, so let's say we have seven to eight hours of sleep, we typically get about four to five, well, five cycles in. As we go through the night, the amount of deep sleep, the amount of restorative deep non-REM sleep gets shorter and the amount of REM sleep gets longer. Yes. So... We're getting more of our REM sleep in the morning before we wake up than after Absolutely. we go to sleep. Absolutely. And, you know, this is really important. If, you're, if you've got a job or if you've got um, something that, involve, that requires you to be creative, those last, that last hour or two is, is vital for improving and enhancing your creativity. Um, and actually the clever companies like google nasa they're realizing this and they prioritize sleep in all their employees it's very interesting it's interesting i've recently read the book um why we sleep i don't know if you've read it but it's a really interesting read and in it he was saying that um in the states they the children's schools often start really really early so like at seven o'clock in the morning and in some states they have pushed back the starting time so that children are actually getting more sleep in the morning. And the schools that have done that, or some specific schools, have found a huge rate increase in their SATs levels, which are the exams that they do there. So I think it's just really amazing that we, in a society, have not prioritised this this free drug. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, if it was a prescription, we'd be, we'd be signing it off on in the millions. But um, we, we, we don't and we don't often address it. OK, I have another couple of questions. So just as you were talking about sleep architecture and you were saying in between these cycles, we wake up a little bit. And I think that's something that many people aren't really aware of, that it is kind of normal to wake up a little bit every single night. Is that true? Yeah, it's normal. It's normal. Um, if you the, the difficult the the problem arises when you wake up and then your mind goes into overdrive and your thoughts take over and you can't get back to sleep. But it's very normal to wake up and have a little period of wakefulness. That's absolutely fine. And that's normal. Ideally, what you want to do is just turn over and go back to sleep. Yes, absolutely. Which is what the majority of us without sleep issues do. And I have another question as well, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but why do we so often wake up in the middle of a dream? Yeah, I I noticed that as well, actually. But I'm I'm not 100% sure. I'm guessing that it's because we wake up typically after, a, you know, hopefully seven or eight hours of sleep. And that's the period where we would be dreaming more than having our deep restorative sleep. So when we wake up, we're typically in REM sleep. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it, that sometimes you kind of feel dragged out of a dream. And you yeah. don't want to, you want to be in the dream enjoying the dream and it's almost like no no I know this is a dream but I'm enjoying it so I don't want to wake up (laughs) okay let's move on to what happens if we don't get enough sleep and I think this is a really important question because I think for a start people don't realize they aren't getting enough sleep yeah it's 
it it is it is a difficult one and as what i want to caveat this by is that if anyone is listening and is not getting enough sleep then this can be quite anxiety provoking and this is not what we want to achieve there are little things to be so all is not lost you can you can you can address it and there are ways in which we can do this but when we don't get enough sleep we don't give our body that control alt delete we don't give our body that time for restoration. We don't give our body that time for memory processing. So what we find is that you get lots of things going on. Firstly, your sympathetic nervous system. So that is the, the that's related to your stress response. So when we were, uh, you know, cavemen, we saw a lion, uh, our sympathetic nervous system would be overactivated so that we could respond to that acute stress. It shouldn't be on all the time. You know, when we run away, we're away from the danger. We then have that sympathetic nervous system would then be deactivated. But what we find if you haven't slept enough, it's always in a it's in a slight sort of hypersensitive state where it's overactivated. And this promotes inflammation. Now, there are other things that promote inflammation. So, for example, you get decreased, you know, your, your, you can't process blood sugar as well. Um, because the hormone insulin that, that processes blood sugar, it, it just doesn't work as well. So, this means that your blood sugar can go up and you have a higher chance of getting diabetes. Um, and then it also, uh, interferes with your appetite. So, you know, if, um, yeah, and, and this is, just through hormonal mechanisms there are hunger hormones that promote hunger so uh, they're overactivated when you don't sleep Um, and that hunger hormone is called ghrelin and that typically goes up when you're hungry Um, and leptin uh, gives you a feeling of fullness that goes down when you haven't slept so the overall balance of hormones means that you're hungry and you don't crave good things you don't crave oh I really want that piece of kale or you know <laughs> that bit of vegetable you crave the donut you crave the sugar and as a result you can get overweight and that also increases inflammation so all these processes increase inflammation um, and it's really through this that you see the increase in diseases like heart disease like cardiovascular disease high blood pressure um, heart attacks strokes um, it's through these this mechanism that you can see more diabetes um, because your your hormones uh, regulating your appetite are, are, are not as as in tune you put on weight easily um, and sadly it can also be linked to uh, certain cancers and and it can if you're not getting enough sleep it can promote the spread of certain cancers and Alzheimer's disease as well Alzheimer's disease is a big one um, and this relates to something fascinating that we've only recently discovered, really, called the glymphatics. Um, and the glymphatics are really the uh, brain's clearance system. So it's like the sewage system for the brain. Um, and that drains away all that toxic debris that's accumulated throughout the day. And that happens particularly in non-REM sleep. So if you're in that deep non-REM sleep, your glymphatics are working away, your brain sewage system, your rubbish removal men have all come and they're taking everything away that needs to be degraded and, and removed. Um, and what, what we find is that um, if you're not sleeping enough or if you're um, 
if you're if you're missing out on that deep restorative non-REM sleep, you're also missing out on this removal of waste. And the other, the, the interesting thing is that the, the the products that accumulate, the proteins that accumulate in Alzheimer's disease, called beta amyloid and tau, are also part of the products that are removed by the glymphatics. So if you're not getting enough sleep these products are building up in your brain. And what you find is that you get a vicious cycle because they do also deposit in areas which generate your deep sleep. So if you're not getting enough sleep, you're not washing away those products, they're building up in your areas where you where you would traditionally then lose more sleep, and then you get even less sleep. Okay, so it promotes the buildup of even more deposits. So it's a bit of a vicious cycle. Now, researchers have become very interested in this, and they're looking at this as a target, actually, for medication. So watch this space. Um, But really, if we can go right to the root cause and address sleep at an earlier age, then that will be of significant benefit. It's amazing, isn't it? It's absolutely fascinating. And, And the other thing I think that we can touch on here as well is productivity. And I think... I see lots of people who don't go to sleep, they don't prioritise sleep because, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got so much stuff to do. Whereas actually, when you go, okay, I'm actually going to go to sleep and make sure I get my eight-hour sleep, the next day you'll be so much more productive and get the job done so much more quickly. In fact, in that book, he said that in the United States, they estimate that they lose $400 billion a year on lost productivity for people who are inefficient through the workplace. And it's just staggering, just absolutely amazing. And, And the other thing I wanted to touch on about particularly chronic sleep deprivation is car accidents as well. Is that something you can talk about? Yes. Yes, it is. I think this is a really sad um, area, actually. Um, So if you are sleep deprived, you are more at risk of having accidents, in particular road traffic accidents. Now, I used to uh, look at a lot of people with obstructive sleep apnea. So when they fall asleep, their airways collapse and they don't get that deep restorative sleep, the the deep NREM sleep, um, and they have very fragmented sleep. So even though they might be sleeping for, you know, eight to nine hours, they're waking up unrefreshed. And as a result, they're chronically sleep deprived. And we, we, we see that they, we, we actually actively advise them to tell the DVLA and get treatment before they step in into a car again. So, so it is a big issue. And sleep deprivation is as bad or if not worse than having alcohol on board um, and being inebriated. And the interesting thing about sleep deprivation is when we're sleep deprived, we actually have these little micro sleeps. Um, The brain just switches off because it's so fatigued, it's really tired, and you actually have a very micro sleep, a a little micro sleep. And we can measure this with um, things that we can do in the the lab. Um, And we can tell that people are actually snoozing. And if you're snoozing at the wheel of a car, then you're totally gone. For that period of time, you're not concentrating at all. And so you are really prone to accidents. And unfortunately, sometimes you're prone to even worse accidents than if you did have alcohol on board. Because what sleep does is it 
it, it, you know, you're not reactive at all. You, you're, you're in a little bit of a snooze. Your, your body, your brain's not, not reacting. What alcohol does is it just slows your reactions down. So even though you're not reacting well, you will react at some stage. So what we, we have found is that the, the car accidents of people who are sleep deprived can be worse than the ones who, of, uh, uh, of people who have, have drunk, are drinking and driving. It's very scary, isn't it? And I think one of the really scary things as well is that people do not realise that they are sleep deprived. So, you know, when you've been drinking, you know what you've been drinking and you can go, well, I'm going to get a taxi. But people who are sleep deprived just don't, they're not aware of it. No, no, not always. Or you compensate, you think, oh, I'll have a bit of caffeine or I'll have a coffee. And then when you get that caffeine crash, you then... Um, compensate again and you then get another caffeine crash and as a result you're hiding or masking your sleep deprivation okay well just before you tell us about caffeine because i want to ask you about caffeine can you (laughs) just reiterate the ideal number of hours that we should be aiming for yeah so the average adult should get between seven to nine hours there's actually a j-shaped curve where anything less than seven hours and you increase your risk of lots of diseases and overall mortality. And over nine hours, that also goes up. Okay. And so do you, when you're um, advising your clients, your patients, do you say, you know, above seven hours is okay? Or do you say, well, actually, I would aim for eight hours? Yeah, I would aim for eight hours. Or I would give give people, I would, I would advise people to give themselves this eight hours of sleep opportunity so that that for that eight hours their only real function or their their real um aim is to sleep yes because obviously for some people it takes a a little bit of time to wind down and actually go to sleep and i find this totally fascinating as well i have twins and they are now six and my daughter she is like a dormouse she will fall asleep like her father in a couple of minutes whereas her twin will be chatting an hour later he's still singing <laughs> Sebastian it's time to go to sleep now but they're like chalk and cheese and I think that we do have like a sort of sleep makeup and some of us fall asleep really easily and some of us don't right moving on to caffeine and alcohol ah now um I have been very guilty of caffeinating or, or or really drugging my sleep deprivation because caffeine is really a psychoactive stimulant but we don't think of it like that because it, it it's it it's so available and pretty much everything we enjoy um and i don't want to put a dampener on that because i love coffee culture i love having a cup of tea in the morning and certainly caffeine used in the right way can be very performance enhancing so actually a lot of sports uh, people use it as something that's legal and that can enhance performance so caffeine used in the right way is good and um, what we what we know about caffeine however is that it stays in our body for a long time so once we've had that cup of coffee um it we, we measure the elimination of substances by something called half-life. So the half-life of caffeine or the time taken for half of it to leave your body is about five to seven hours. So if you have, say, a double espresso at midday, 
in, say, a latte, you've had a latte and a double espresso is within that latte, then that midday drink at 6 p.m., you'll have still an espresso left in you. And at 12 a.m. midnight, you'll still have half of that espresso left in you, which a lot of people don't know. So certainly, and and, and the other thing that caffeine does is it, is it can disrupt the quality of your sleep. So it, it can actually cause increased sleep fragmentation. That is super interesting. So what you're saying is it's not just the time, but it's also the quantity of caffeine that you're consuming yeah absolutely um and you know the best thing to do is 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 to enjoy your coffee in the morning or enjoy your cups of tea in the morning uh, but be mindful of how it's affecting you yes and one other thing i would say as well is if you're needing your coffee first thing in the morning chances are that you aren't getting enough sleep because you're using that to stimulate yourself. So one of the things I've taken to doing is having a cup of coffee mid-morning because I'm a bit of a coffee fan. Mm -hmm. I totally love coffee and I couldn't imagine my life without it. But I know that I'm getting enough sleep because I just have this strange turmeric tea first thing in the morning, which I totally love. My husband thinks is disgusting. Mm -hmm. But I don't need that caffeine boost to get me out of bed but I can still enjoy caffeine. And the other thing is that some people can metabolize it much more quickly, can't they? Some people, it just doesn't affect so much. And I'm very jealous of those people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Everyone is very different. Um, and and you're, so going back to your first point, yes, uh, caffeine can, you know, the need or the desire for caffeine first thing in the morning is a really good barometer of whether you're actually sleep deprived. If you can't function without it, then the chances are you're not getting enough sleep or enough good quality sleep um and uh, and yes some people are different um some people metabolize it slightly differently so you know if your liver enzyme system that typically uh, degrades the caffeine is is slightly more active then you will you'll get rid of it a bit quicker um and the other thing that develops to caffeine is tolerance so if you drink a lot of it your body copes and gets tolerant to that level of caffeine that you're putting in your body so that you then need more and more um but it is important to recognize what it does to the individual um so if you are having problems with sleep then just be mindful of the amount of caffeine that you're drinking fabulous and now alcohol many people think that alcohol helps them sleep but sadly this is not true is it <laughs> oh sadly although you know um, if you're having a glass of wine with your dinner, if you're, if you're having a glass of wine with your dinner, um, if you're having that with your family and you're having um, a loving meal together and it's really releasing all those endorphins, then I'm not saying that alcohol is a bad thing. In fact, alcohol is great. You know, enjoy your way. However, if you're having a bit of alcohol just before you go to sleep, then even if you think, oh, it's helping you nod off, it is degrading the quality of your sleep. Um, You do wake up a little bit more, so it fragments your sleep. It does um, impinge on your REM sleep, so your dreaming sleep, the amount of, you know, emotional detox that you can do and the amount of creativity that you can then produce for the next morning is affected. So even if you think it is, uh, if you are sleeping well, it is affecting the quality of your sleep, sadly. One of the things I have taken to doing, and I have done an experiment where I didn't drink any alcohol in January, and actually, I really enjoyed that and found (laughs) that it was a really interesting experiment to do. 
And since then, I've been thinking about alcohol and realized that I didn't always enjoy the alcohol that I was drinking. I was just drinking it really for the sake of drinking it. And it's much better to take the the occasions that you really love. And one of the things I really love is early evening, five o'clock, when the sun is shining to have a glass of beer. And that also gives my body the time to metabolize it because I'm having it much earlier. In fact, here in Spain, some people have what's called a carajil. So first thing in the morning, a coffee with a brandy in it. Now, I am not suggesting you do that. (laughs) But you can see that it does give them time to metabolize it before they go to sleep. (laughs) Okay, shall we? Should we move on to top tips for good sleep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'd like to say is that it's really important if you think that you have a sleep disorder, if you're really feeling sleep deprived, uh, go see a sleep specialist. They are uh, few and far between, but they are available. um, And it's normally via your general practitioner, um, and they can refer you on. So family practitioners are not or general practitioners are not really taught much about sleep. So they will be able to answer certain things and not others. So if you think you've got a sleep disorder, go and see somebody, go and see a specialist. Now, if you can sleep, but you're just not getting the sleep opportunity, then do maximize, try and prioritize sleep. Do try. It is so vital to your overall health. And even if you don't feel it now, at some point in the future, it will catch up with you. So I do recommend that you try and prioritize sleep. If, however, you're finding that you're not sleeping, then there are some top tips. Um, And what I would say is the first thing to address is stress. Um, I can say that from a personal experience, from a personal perspective, because when I'm stressed, the first thing to go is sleep. I don't sleep very well at all. Um, And it may well be worth uh, looking at, at whether you are stressed, why that is the case, and whether you can do anything to address it. And sometimes meditation or mindfulness can be really helpful and restorative. So it is important to address the underlying stress in your life. Now, once you then move on and you don't find that you're still sleeping well, then there are certain things that we can do. So one of the key uh, tips is light. So get daylight in the morning. The sunlight in the early hours when we're you know, up and about is is really important. We, we advise at least about 20 minutes. Now, sunlight helps reset our circadian rhythms. Um, and uh, even if it's an overcast day, we it works better than a middle of a room inside. So Sorry, you're saying you, we should be outside for 20 minutes? Technically, yeah. I mean, sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes, sometimes it's difficult. But if you can, if you get the opportunity, for example, you know, park the car a little bit further from work and walk, um, try and try and do try and get outside. Um, and and we say about twenty minutes because we measure the intensity of sunlight in something called lux, and sunlight has over a, a hundred thousand lux. Now, on an overcast day, you can still get a thousand lux. Um, and your brain can still register that you're getting a lot of light and you're re- and, and reset your circadian rhythm. But if you're in the middle of a room uh, and the, there's not much sunlight coming through, then you can only really get sort of 50 lux, 100 lux. It's not a lot. 
So getting some daylight uh, is very important, okay? The other thing to be mindful about when it comes to light is that we, as, it, as your day progresses, and especially at night time, we are evolved for the sun to go down and for us to light fires and sit around them and for the amount of light that we're exposed to to go down. So our modern lifestyles where you've got street lights everywhere, where you've got uh, lighting in the house. And the important thing is our screens that we're now looking at, which give us so much light can disrupt our natural daily rhythm and it can decrease um, a hormone that's really important in regulating your sleep something called melatonin so daylight in the morning is important yes but also have a have a think about where where light is coming from at, at night time okay and in particular have um, a think about when you use your screens and how you use your screens when you use your mobile phones because that gives you a lot of what we call blue light which is produced from led um, uh, screens um, and as well as decreasing melatonin, it decreases the amount of REM sleep that we get. So what I would advise is, if you can, a digital detox about an hour before bed. So put away all your screens um, and try and turn the lights down in the house. And that can be very helpful. So light is important. Daylight and trying to eliminate blue light. Okay. Oh, the other thing that you can get, uh, just as another top tip, is if it is um, blue light blocking glasses. So if you really do need to do that last bit of, you know, emailing, uh, you can get some glasses that um, can block it out. OK, so if that if that resonates with you, if you feel that that helps, then that might be, be something that you can that, also if you've got an iPad or an iPhone. And I don't know about all Androids, but you can put them on nighttime settings so they will yeah. reduce the amount of blue light that they emit depending yeah. on the light levels. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is an excellent point. What I would say is that put that on, but also try and stay away from your screens for about an hour before bed. Order and books, see- books mm-hmm. instead of Kindle. <laughs> yeah, try. And if you can't, if you can't do, do it for a couple of days and see if it works, um, see what works for you. Um, so light is very important. The other thing is, um, is, is eating. So when we eat in tune with our body's natural rhythm, we do find it easier to get to sleep. Now, we would advise trying not to eat just before bedtime and trying to have a gap of about two to three hours of before so that your body can digest and process the food before you go to sleep. And that can be very helpful. That can be very helpful. Um, the other thing that is, 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 as well as when you eat, is exercise. So I don't want people to not exercise as a result of this tip. <laughs> Do exercise. Exercise is good. Exercise promotes longevity on all levels. Um, however, if you find that you're having trouble sleeping and you're exercising closer to bedtime, then try exercising a little bit earlier on in the day and giving approximately two to three hours before you, you go to sleep. Um, and give, give, yes, so give a window of about two to three hours before you exercise and go to sleep. So, that could be quite helpful because exercise obviously stimulates all your um, your your heart rate, your blood pressure goes up, and it can take a lot of, a little bit of time for you to unwind and get into that sleep uh, sort of um, way of thinking, and for your brain to unwind as well. So 
light time when you eat, exercise. We've talked about caffeine and alcohol, but I will reiterate them in my top tips. So if you are going to have caffeine, um, then try and have it in the morning. Um, and try and be mindful of how much you have as well. If you're really having trouble sleeping, then it might be worth giving yourself a bit of a caffeine detox, but see how you feel about that. Um, and alcohol, try not to have it too, try not to have too much too close to bed because it can fragment your sleep. What about a, a relaxing bedtime routine? Would you recommend that? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, have control over your sleep space and make it sacred. So in your bedroom, have the lights down low, have, uh, you know, if you think that aromatherapy or um, soothing scents can help, then have those. Um, don't have screens. Try not to have screens available in your, in your bed um, and make it really a place for relaxation. Um, and, and that sort of ties in with trying to uh you know, you'd have a digital detox an hour before bed. It ties in with just getting everything, including your routine, ready for ready for slumber. Um, and one of the other key things that we haven't touched on is temperature. So we all uh, naturally go to sleep um, when the temperature of our surroundings drops. So it might be helpful to cool the room, open some windows or turn down the thermostat on your heating at nighttime so that your body then recognizes, yes, it's nighttime. Yes, it's time for, for sleeping um, and incorporate that into your nighttime ritual. That's very interesting. I remember staying at my friend's house once and she left the heating on all night and oh my goodness, it was so roasting and I could hardly sleep. I kept waking up because it was so hot. Yeah. Um, and, and then the important thing is just to have a routine. If something works for you, incorporate it into your routine. Try and wake up and go to sleep at roughly the same time. Um, and, and chop and change. Try a few things. If one thing doesn't work, then try another. Um, and, and remember, if all these tips don't work, then go and get help. There are people out there that can help you. If you think you've got a sleep disorder, go and see a sleep specialist. If it is insomnia that you're struggling with, then sometimes cognitive behavioural therapy can be very helpful. So do investigate it. Okay. And just a quick note on sleeping pills. What are your views on sleeping pills? My views, they, my views are trying to stay away as much as possible. Fabulous. Fabulous. Zarin, thank you so much. Any last words to us? <laughs> Um, so really, I want to say that sleep, dis sleep disruption, sleep disorders are very common, but don't fear. Uh, help can help is available. Um, and that if you have liked this podcast and it resonates with you, then spread the message. Tell your loved ones, tell your families, tell your friends that sleep is so fundamentally important to their health. Fabulous. And where can people find you? So I am on Zareen, spelled Z-A-R-R-I-N for November, at lifestylecardiology.com. Or if you go to my website, www.lifestylecardiology.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at, at, Zareen, at Dr. Zareen Sheikh. Fabulous. I will leave those links in the show notes as well. Thank you once again. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
for listening to this episode of Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Alina. If you enjoyed it, I would be really grateful if you could share it with a friend. Every time you share a podcast episode with a friend, it helps me to reach and help more people. Remember, you're welcome to sign up for the new me challenge. Dig out those I can't do it thoughts and replace them with, wow, this is easy and fun. You can sign up at drlina.com slash new me. That's D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A dot com slash new dash in the middle me. Have a lovely week and see you next week. Goodbye.